0: part six chapter six of crime and punishment by fyodor dostoevsky translated by constance garnett this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part six chapter six he spent that evening till ten o'clock going from one low haunt to another katya too turned up and sang another gutter song how a certain villain and tyrant began kissing katya svidrigailov treated katya and the organ grinder and some singers and the waiters and two little clerks he was particularly drawn to these clerks by the fact that they both had crooked noses one bent to the left and the other to the right they took him finally to a pleasure garden where he paid for their entrance there was one lanky three-year-old pine tree and three bushes in the garden besides a vauxhall which was in reality a drinking-bar where tea too was served and there were a few green tables and chairs standing round it a chorus of wretched singers and a drunken but exceedingly depressed german clown from munich with a red nose entertained the public the clerks quarrelled with some other clerks and a fight seemed imminent Svidrigailov was chosen to decide the dispute he listened to them for a quarter of an hour but they shouted so loud that there was no possibility of understanding them. The only fact that seemed certain was that one of them had stolen something and had even succeeded in selling it on the spot to a Jew, but would not share the spoil with his companion. Finally, it appeared that the stolen object was a teaspoon belonging to the vauxhall. It was missed, and the affair began to seem troublesome. Svidrigailov paid for the spoon, got up, and walked out of the garden. It was about six o'clock he had not drunk a drop of wine all this time and had ordered tea more for the sake of appearances than anything it was a dark and stifling evening threatening storm clouds came over the sky about ten o'clock there was a clap of thunder and the rain came down like a waterfall the water fell not in drops but beat on the earth in streams there were flashes of lightning every minute and each flash lasted while one could count five drenched to the skin he went home locked himself in opened the bureau took out all his money and tore up two or three papers then putting the money in his pocket he was about to change his clothes but looking out of the window and listening to the thunder and the rain he gave up the idea took up his hat and went out of the room without locking the door he went straight to sonya she was at home she was not alone the four kapernaumov children were with her she was giving them tea. She received Svidrigailov in respectful silence, looking wonderingly at his soaking clothes. The children all ran away at once in indescribable terror. Svidrigailov sat down at the table and asked Sonia to sit beside him. She timidly prepared to listen. I may be going to America, Sofia Semyonovna, said Svidrigailov, and as I am probably seeing you for the last time, I have come to make some arrangements. Well, did you see the lady today i know what she said to you you need not tell me sonya made a movement and blushed those people have their own way of doing things as to your sisters and your brother they are really provided for and the money assigned to them i've put into safe keeping and have received acknowledgments you had better take charge of the receipts in case anything happens here take them well now that's settled here are three five percent bonds to the value of three thousand roubles take those for yourself entirely for yourself and let that be strictly between ourselves so that no one knows of it whatever you hear you will need the money for to go on living in the old way sofia semyonovna is bad and besides there is no need for it now i am so much indebted to you and so are the children and my stepmother said sonya hurriedly and if i've said so little please don't consider that's enough that's enough but as for the money arkady ivanovitch i am very grateful to you but i don't need it now i can always earn my own living don't think me ungrateful if you are so charitable that money it's for you for you Sofia semyonovna and please don't waste words over it i haven't time for it you will want it Rodion romanovitch has two alternatives a bullet in the brain or siberia sonya looked wildly at him and started don't be uneasy i know all about it from himself and i am not a gossip i won't tell anyone it was good advice when you told him to give himself up and confess it would be so much better for him well if it turns out to be siberia he will go and you will follow him that's so isn't it and if so you'll need money you'll need it for him do you understand giving it to you is the same as my giving it to him besides you promised amalia ivanovna to pay what's owing i heard you how can you undertake such obligations so heedlessly, Sofia Semyonovna? It was Katerina Ivanovna's debt, and not yours, so you ought not to have taken any notice of the German woman. You can't get through the world like that. If you are ever questioned about me, tomorrow or the day after, you will be asked. Don't say anything about my coming to see you now, and don't show the money to anyone or say a word about it. Well, now, good-bye. He got up. My greetings to Rodion Romanovitch by the way you'd better put the money for the present in mr razumihin's keeping you know mr razumihin of course you do he's not a bad fellow take it to him to-morrow or when the time comes and till then hide it carefully sonya too jumped up from her chair and looked in dismay at svidrigailov she longed to speak to ask a question but for the first moment she did not dare and did not know how to begin H- how can you be going now in such rain why be starting for america and be stopped by rain ha <laughs> good-bye sophia semyonovna my dear live and live long you will be of use to others by the way tell mr razumihin i send my greetings to him tell him arkady ivanovitch Svidrigailov sends his greetings be sure to he went out leaving sonya in a state of wondering anxiety and vague apprehension it appeared afterwards that on the same evening at twenty past eleven he made another very eccentric and unexpected visit the rain still persisted drenched to the skin he walked into the little flat where the parents of his betrothed lived in third street in vasilievsky island he knocked some time before he was admitted and his visit at first caused great perturbation but sridrigailov could be very fascinating when he liked so that the first and indeed very intelligent surmise of the sensible parents that svidrigailov had probably had so much to drink that he did not know what he was doing vanished immediately the decrepit father was wheeled in to see svidrigailov by the tender and sensible mother who as usual began the conversation with various irrelevant questions she never asked a direct question but began by smiling and rubbing her hands and then if she were obliged to ascertain something for instance when Svidrigailov would like to have the wedding she would begin by interested and in almost eager questions about paris and the court life there and only by degrees brought the conversation round to third street on other occasions this had of course been very impressive but this time arkady ivanovitch seemed particularly impatient and insisted on seeing his betrothed at once though he had been informed to begin with that she had already gone to bed the girl of course appeared Svidrigailov informed her at once that he was obliged by very important affairs to leave petersburg for a time and therefore brought her fifteen thousand roubles and begged her accept them as a present from him as he had long been intending to make her this trifling present before their wedding the logical connection of the present with his immediate departure and the absolute necessity of visiting them for that purpose in pouring rain at midnight was not made clear but it all went off very well even the inevitable ejaculations of wonder and regret the inevitable questions were extraordinarily few and restrained on the other hand the gratitude expressed was most glowing and was reinforced by tears from the most sensible of mothers svidrigailov got up laughed kissed his betrothed patted her cheek declared he would soon come back and noticing in her eyes together with childish curiosity a sort of earnest dumb inquiry reflected and kissed her again though he felt sincere anger inwardly at the thought that his present would be immediately locked up in the keeping of the most sensible of mothers he went away leaving them all in a state of extraordinary excitement but the tender mamma speaking quietly in a half whisper settled some of the most important of their doubts concluding that svidrigailov was a great man a man of great affairs and connections and of great wealth there was no knowing what he had in his mind he would start off on a journey and give away money just as the fancy took him so that there was nothing surprising about that of course it was strange that he was wet through but englishmen for instance are even more eccentric and all these people of high society didn't think of what was said of them and didn't stand on ceremony possibly indeed he came like that on purpose to show that he was not afraid of anyone above all not a word should be said about it for god knows what might come of it and the money must be locked up and it was most fortunate that Fedosia, the cook had not left the kitchen and above all not a word must be said to that old cat madame reslich and so on and so on they sat up whispering till two o'clock but the girl went to bed much earlier amazed and rather sorrowful Svidrigailov, meanwhile, exactly at midnight, crossed the bridge on the way back to the mainland. The rain had ceased, and there was a roaring wind. He began shivering, and for one moment he gazed at the black waters of the little Neva with a look of special interest, even inquiry. But he soon felt it very cold, standing by the water. He turned, and went towards Y Prospect. He walked along that endless street for a long time, almost half an hour more than once stumbling in the dark on the wooden pavement but continually looking for something on the right side of the street he had noticed passing through the street lately that there was a hotel somewhere towards the end built of wood but fairly large and its name he remembered was something like adrianople he was not mistaken the hotel was so conspicuous in that god-forsaken place that he could not fail to see it even in the dark it was a long blackened wooden building and in spite of the late hour there were lights in the windows and signs of life within he went in and asked a ragged fellow who met him in the corridor for a room the latter scanning Svidrigailov, pulled himself together and led him at once to a close and tiny room in the distance at the end of the corridor under the stairs there was no other all were occupied the ragged fellow looked inquiringly is there tea asked Svidrigailov. yes sir what else is there veal vodka savouries bring me tea and veal and you want nothing else he asked with apparent surprise nothing nothing the ragged man went away completely disillusioned it must be a nice place thought Svidrigailov. how was it i didn't know it i expect i look as if i came from a cafe chantant and have had some adventure on the way it would be interesting to know who stayed here he lighted the candle and looked at the room more carefully it was a room so low-pitched that Svidrigailov could only just stand up in it it had one window the bed which was very dirty and the plain stained chair and table almost filled it up the walls looked as though they were made of planks covered with shabby paper so torn and dusty that the pattern was indistinguishable though the general colour yellow could still be made out one of the walls was cut short by the sloping ceiling though the room was not an attic but just under the stairs svidrigailov set down the candle sat down on the bed and sank into thought but a strange persistent murmur which sometimes rose to a shout in the next room attracted his attention the murmur had not ceased from the moment he entered the room he listened someone was upbraiding and almost tearfully scolding but he heard only one voice svidrigailov got up shaded the light with his hand and at once he saw light through a crack in the wall he went up and peeped through the room which was somewhat larger than his had two occupants one of them a very curly-headed man with a red inflamed face was standing in the pose of an orator without his coat with his legs wide apart to preserve his balance and smiting himself on the breast he reproached the other with being a beggar with having no standing whatever he declared that he had taken the other out of the gutter and he could turn him out when he liked and that only the finger of providence sees it all the object of his reproaches was sitting in a chair and had the air of a man who wants dreadfully to sneeze but can't he sometimes turned sheepish and befogged eyes on the speaker but obviously had not the slightest idea what he was talking about and scarcely heard it a candle was burning down on the table there were wine-glasses a nearly empty bottle of vodka bread and cucumber and glasses with the dregs of stale tea after gazing attentively at this svidrigailov turned away indifferently and sat down on the bed the ragged attendant returning with the tea could not resist asking him again whether he didn't want anything more and again receiving a negative reply finally withdrew svidrigailov made haste to drink a glass of tea to warm himself but could not eat anything he began to feel feverish he took off his coat and, wrapping himself in the blanket, lay down on the bed. He was annoyed. It would have been better to be well for the occasion, he thought with a smile. The room was close, the candle burnt dimly, the wind was roaring outside. He heard a mouse scratching in the corner, and the room smelt of mice and of leather. He lay in a sort of reverie. One thought followed another. He felt a longing to fix his imagination on something. It must be a garden under the window, he thought there's a sound of trees how i dislike the sound of trees on a stormy night in the dark they give one a horrid feeling he remembered how he had disliked it when he passed petrovsky park just now this reminded him of the bridge over the little neva and he felt cold again as he had when standing there i never have liked water he thought even in a landscape and he suddenly smiled again at a strange idea surely now all these questions of taste and comfort ought not to matter but i've become more particular like an animal that picks out a special place for such an occasion i ought to have gone into the petrovsky park i suppose it seemed dark cold ha, <laughs> as though i were seeking pleasant sensations by the way why haven't i put out the candle he blew it out they've gone to bed next door he thought not seeing the light at the crack well now marfa petrovna now is the time for you to turn up it's dark and the very time and place for you but now you won't come he suddenly recalled how an hour before carrying out his design on dunya he had recommended raskolnikov to trust her to razumihin's keeping i suppose i really did say it as raskolnikov guessed to tease myself but what a rogue that raskolnikov is he's gone through a good deal he may be a successful rogue in time when he's got over his nonsense but now he's too eager for life these young men are contemptible on that point but hang the fellow let him please himself it's nothing to do with me he could not get to sleep by degrees dunya's image rose before him and a shudder ran over him no i must give up all that now he thought rousing himself i must think of something else it's queer and funny i never had a great hatred for any one I never particularly desired to avenge myself even and that's a bad sign a bad sign a bad sign i never liked quarrelling either and never lost my temper that's a bad sign too and the promises i made her just now too damnation but who knows perhaps she would have made a new man of me somehow he ground his teeth and sank into silence again again dunya's image rose before him just as she was when after shooting the first time she had lowered the revolver in terror and gazed blankly at him so that he might have seized her twice over and she would not have lifted a hand to defend herself if he had not reminded her he recalled how at that instant he felt almost sorry for her how he had felt a pang at his heart ay damnation these thoughts again i must put it away he was dozing off the feverish shiver had ceased when suddenly something seemed to run over his arm and leg under the bedclothes he started ugh hang it i believe it's a mouse he thought that's the veal i left on the table he felt fearfully disinclined to pull off the blanket get up get cold but all at once something unpleasant ran over his leg again he pulled off the blanket and lighted the candle shaking with feverish chill he bent down to examine the bed there was nothing he shook the blanket and suddenly a mouse jumped out on the sheet he tried to catch it but the mouse ran to and fro in zigzags without leaving the bed slipped between his fingers ran over his hand and suddenly darted under the pillow he threw down the pillow but in one instant felt something leap on his chest and dart over his body and down his back under his shirt he trembled nervously and woke up the room was dark he was lying on the bed and wrapped up in the blanket as before the wind was howling under the window how disgusting he thought with annoyance he got up and sat on the edge of the bedstead with his back to the window it's better not to sleep at all he decided there was a cold damp draught from the window however without getting up he drew the blanket over him and wrapped himself in it he was not thinking of anything and did not want to think but one image rose after another incoherent scraps of thought without beginning or end passed through his mind he sank into drowsiness perhaps the cold or the dampness or the dark or the wind that howled under the window and tossed the trees roused a sort of persistent craving for the fantastic he kept dwelling on images of flowers he fancied a charming flower-garden a bright warm almost hot day a holiday trinity day a fine sumptuous country cottage in the english taste overgrown with fragrant flowers with flower-beds going round the house the porch wreathed in climbers was surrounded with beds of roses a light cool staircase carpeted with rich rugs was decorated with rare plants in china pots he noticed particularly in the windows nosegays of tender white heavily fragrant narcissus bending over their bright green thick long stalks he was reluctant to move away from them but he went up the stairs and came into a large high drawing-room and again everywhere at the windows the doors on to the balcony and on the balcony itself were flowers the floors were strewn with freshly cut fragrant hay the windows were open a fresh cool light air came into the room the birds were chirruping under the window and in the middle of the room on a table covered with a white satin shroud stood a coffin the coffin was covered with white silk and edged with a thick white frill wreaths of flowers surrounded it on all sides among the flowers lay a girl in a white muslin dress with her arms crossed and pressed on her bosom as though carved out of marble but her loose fair hair was wet there was a wreath of roses on her head the stern and already rigid profile of her face looked as though chiselled of marble too and the smile on her pale lips was full of an immense unchildish misery and sorrowful appeal svidrigailov knew that girl there was no holy image no burning candle beside the coffin no sound of prayers the girl had drowned herself she was only fourteen but her heart was broken and she had destroyed herself crushed by an insult that had appalled and amazed that childish soul had smirched that angel purity with unmerited disgrace and torn from her a last scream of despair unheeded and brutally disregarded on a dark night in the cold and wet while the wind howled Svidrigailov came to himself got up from the bed and went to the window he felt for the latch and opened it the wind lashed furiously into the little room and stung his face and his chest only covered with his shirt as though with frost under the window there must have been something like a garden and apparently a pleasure garden there too probably there were tea-tables and singing in the daytime now drops of rain flew in at the window from the trees and bushes it was dark as in a cellar so that he could only just make out some dark blurs of objects svidrigailov bending down with elbows on the window sill, gazed for five minutes into the darkness the boom of a cannon followed by a second one resounded in the darkness of the night ah the signal the river is overflowing he thought by morning it will be swirling down the street in the lower parts flooding the basements and cellars the cellar rats will swim out and men will curse in the rain and wind as they drag their rubbish to their upper stories what time is it now and he had hardly thought it when somewhere near a clock on the wall ticking away hurriedly struck three aha it will be light in an hour why wait i'll go out at once straight to the park i choose a great bush there drenched with rain so that as soon as one's shoulder touches it millions of drops drip on one's head he moved away from the window shut it lighted the candle put on his waistcoat his overcoat and his hat and went out carrying the candle into the passage to look for the ragged attendant who would be asleep somewhere in the midst of candle-ends and all sorts of rubbish to pay him for the room and leave the hotel it's the best minute i couldn't choose a better he walked for some time through a long narrow corridor without finding anyone and was just going to call out when suddenly in a dark corner between an old cupboard and the door he caught sight of a strange object which seemed to be alive he bent down with the candle and saw a little girl not more than five years old shivering and crying with her clothes as wet as a soaking house flannel she did not seem afraid of Svidrigailov, but looked at him with blank amazement out of her big black eyes now and then she sobbed as children do when they have been crying a long time but are beginning to be comforted the child's face was pale and tired she was numb with cold how can she have come here she must have hidden here and not slept all night he began questioning her the child suddenly becoming animated chattered away in her baby language something about mammy and that mammy would beat her and about some cup that she had woke in the child chattered on without stopping he could only guess from what she said that she was a neglected child whose mother probably a drunken cook in the service of the hotel whipped and frightened her that the child had broken a cup of her mother's and was so frightened that she had run away the evening before and hidden for a long while somewhere outside in the rain at last had made her way in here hidden behind the cupboard and spent the night there crying and trembling from the damp the darkness and the fear that she would be badly beaten for it he took her in his arms went back to his room sat her on the bed and began undressing her the torn shoes which she had on her stockingless feet were as wet as if they had been standing in a puddle all night when he had undressed her he put her on the bed covered her up and wrapped her in the blanket from her head downwards she fell asleep at once then he sank into dreary musing again what folly to trouble myself, he decided suddenly, with an oppressive feeling of annoyance. What idiocy! In vexation, he took up the candle to go and look for the ragged attendant again, and make haste to go away. Damn the child, he thought, as he opened the door. But he turned again to see whether the child was asleep. He raised the blanket carefully. The child was sleeping soundly. She had got warm under the blanket, and her pale cheeks were flushed but strange to say that flush seemed brighter and coarser than the rosy cheeks of childhood it's a flush of fever thought svidrigailov it was like the flush from drinking as though she had been given a full glass to drink her crimson lips were hot and glowing but what was this he suddenly fancied that her long black eyelashes were quivering as though the lids were opening and a sly crafty eye peeped out with an unchildlike wink as though the little girl were not asleep but pretending yes it was so her lips parted in a smile the corners of her mouth quivered as though she were trying to control them but now she quite gave up all effort now it was a grin a broad grin there was something shameless provocative in that quite unchildish face it was depravity it was the face of a harlot the shameless face of a french harlot now both eyes opened wide they turned a glowing shameless glance upon him they laughed invited him there was something infinitely hideous and shocking in that laugh in those eyes in such nastiness in the face of a child what at five years old Svidrigailov muttered in genuine horror what does it mean and now she turned to him her little face all aglow holding out her arms accursed child Svidrigailov cried raising his hand to strike her but at that moment he woke up. He was in the same bed, still wrapped in the blanket. The candle had not been lighted, and daylight was streaming in at the windows. I've had nightmare all night. He got up angrily, feeling utterly shattered. His bones ached. There was a thick mist outside, and he could see nothing. It was nearly five. He had overslept himself. He got up, put on his still damp jacket and overcoat feeling the revolver in his pocket he took it out and then he sat down took a notebook out of his pocket and in the most conspicuous place on the title page wrote a few lines in large letters reading them over he sank into thought with his elbows on the table the revolver and the notebook lay beside him some flies woke up and settled on the untouched veal which was still on the table he stared at them and at last with his free right hand began trying to catch one he tried till he was tired but could not catch it at last realizing that he was engaged in this interesting pursuit he started got up and walked resolutely out of the room a minute later he was in the street a thick milky mist hung over the town svidrigailov walked along the slippery dirty wooden pavement towards the little neva he was picturing the waters of the little neva swollen in the night petrovsky island the wet paths the wet grass the wet trees and bushes and at last the bush he began ill-humouredly staring at the houses trying to think of something else there was not a cabman or a passer-by in the street the bright yellow wooden little houses looked dirty and dejected with their closed shutters the cold and damp penetrated his whole body and he began to shiver from time to time he came across shop signs and read each carefully at last he reached the end of the wooden pavement and came to a big stone house a dirty shivering dog crossed his path with its tail between its legs a man in a greatcoat lay face downwards dead drunk across the pavement he looked at him and went on a high tower stood up on the left bah he shouted here is a place why should it be petrovsky it will be in the presence of an official witness anyway he almost smiled at this new thought and turned into the street where there was the big house with the tower at the great closed gates of the house a little man stood with his shoulder leaning against them wrapped in a grey soldier's coat with a copper achilles helmet on his head he cast a drowsy and indifferent glance at svidrigailov his face wore that perpetual look of peevish dejection which is so sourly printed on all faces of jewish race without exception they both svidrigailov and achilles stared at each other for a few minutes without speaking at last it struck achilles as irregular for a man not drunk to be standing three steps from him staring and not saying a word what do you want here he said without moving or changing his position nothing brother good morning answered svidrigailov this isn't the place i am going to foreign parts brother to foreign parts to america america svidrigailov took out the revolver and cocked it achilles raised his eyebrows i say this is not the place for such jokes why shouldn't it be the place because it isn't well brother i don't mind that it's a good place when you are asked you can just say he was going he said to america he put the revolver to his right temple you can't do it here. It's not the place," cried Achilles, rousing himself. His eyes growing bigger and bigger. Svidrigailov pulled the trigger. part six, chapter six. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.